welcome to this episode of the Scream Squad. I'm here in the dungeon with, uh, it's actually very cool, I'm here with Los Leos. Uh, I, of course, am joined by my awesome co-host, Chico Leo, but we have Leo Fairman from, you know, uh, who actually does our Patreon stuff with us, with, with Leo doing our Los Leos. But um, Chico, I'm sorry, I talked over. You need to introduce yourself and then we'll get to Leo. <laughs> no, it's all good. Yeah, no. So we're all packed into the dungeon here. Um, yeah, so Patreon uh, supporters probably recognize that uh, Leo and I have been doing a segment on, on the Patreon, Los Leos, uh, and we uh, we talk about different things. And um, hey, that's uh, just a plug right there. Five bucks a month and you get all kinds of extra content, including Los Leos. Yay. And here's the other half uh, is right on, for the first time on the regular podcast, is Leo Fairman. Yo, what's up, gang? This is cool. This feels kind of like, like when Jamie said we're all packed in a dungeon. It does feel physical, right? It feels like we're all like in the same room, even though we're not. We're just kind of like crammed in like a phone booth <laughs> talking about shit. Um, yeah, what's up? I'm, I'm, I'm hyped to be here. And we have like really, really good movies to talk about. So yeah, yeah. we're really excited. Yeah. And also, thank you. I know you gave us a shout out on Black Comics Chat. Uh, gave Scream Squad a shout out. So thank you for that. Oh, as well. Always, always. And shout out to Black Comics Chat. Yep, yep. <laughs> yes. So uh, we are going to talk about sinister doubles today, or just doubles in general. Um, and so we picked some really good movies to talk about. Uh, of course, we have, um, well, the, the easy one is Sisters. Uh, that's a Brian De Palma movie from early 70s. But um, we have two that we all kind of really, really love. Uh, so first off is 1981's Possession. Um, and there is 2013, I think it yeah. was, uh, is Enemy with Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, let's dive into Enemy first, because I think it's the more recent one. But um, I think this is the one that kind of resonated with all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Enemy. Enemy was I didn't really know what to expect. I know that we were chatting a bit before the show and we were talking about the director who, whom you're a great big fan of. Um, and I and at that point, I've only really seen Sicario, which I really liked. But I had one of those weird things where I saw Sicario, really liked it. And I never looked into his back catalog at all. I'm like, OK, that was good. Whatever. Um, and so then like going into Enemy like moved me so much that yesterday I like crammed watching Prisoners to like 1 a.m. <laughs> just because like I needed something else by this guy because I was so impressed with Enemy. Um, and Jake Gyllenhaal's performance and it's kind of been like crammed like a splinter into my brain ever since I've seen Enemy it's just in there well and he also so we're talking about Denis Villeneuve who I actually also I'm, I'm, I, I think he I mean he literally is one of my favorite directors directing and has definitely tackled all different genres yeah. including just got nominated for best director for The Arrival um, which is you know a sci-fi movie and um He's killing it. I mean, Sicario, yeah, as you mentioned, Prisoners and, and Enemy. Um, and he actually was a, an award-winning director before that, like in Canada. He, he won, you know, several, I think, of like sort of Canadian Oscars or, you know, sort of mm -hmm. super-powered awards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so this movie really creeped me out. Yeah. I mean, it's not, I mean, I don't even know, you know, again, we, you know, we talk about spoilers or whatever. I mean, it's it's about two guys who are physically identical in every way. Like they have the same scar or or is it two guys? Is it one guy? Right. That's or it. does it matter? It with you. Yeah. Yes. You know, it's, and it's, I think also, um, just from like a cinematic standpoint, it's a very like, it's, it's like color graded. It's like very yellow and dark. And it's just very kind of, um, you know, like uh, shadowy and, and, you know, you really get a sense of loneliness through lighting, through empty rooms um, with this one professor character. 
And you do see the contrast between him and, you know, his double or whatever who kind of had doppelganger who has, you know, this clean, beautiful, like healthy, brighter lighting. Like there really is. And I think he's like a successful actor. So there really is like this difference that you see visually as well. Not just them, um, but also like in the film itself, it kind of changes um and so that mood changes depending on who you're seeing and it kind of it does it gets under your skin it's unsettling and it's it's almost hard to explain why yeah it's i feel like the the relationships as they're presented um you know i don't know how you want to differentiate the two but the the actor and the teacher um both of them have well it's adam and anthony right is that right right but remember like there are doubles within doubles in this movie because anthony is actually like a a fake name that he or daniel st Clair is like his fake name and then anthony's his name and then adam but we could say but it's adam and anthony are the names of the given names that's right you're right you're absolutely that's right so yeah yeah but adam's the teacher anthony is the actor right and like and it's interesting because um what you just said jamie like when i first watched it i was like I kind of had that same thought when I was rewatching it and rewatching pieces of it over and over. Um, I realized that Anthony is not a successful actor. He's a total failure. Mm. He's like been in like the character is purported to have been in three bullshit roles, according to like this little web search that he does on him. One of which That's is right. a bellboy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yet he lives in this like palatial estate somewhere that looks really nice with like a beautiful kitchen with a tasteful backsplash and all that shit. Um, but no, he, I, he actually is a failure. And like, and Adam is also seems to be a failure. Seems to be like a teacher uh, repeating lectures to cl- a class that doesn't care in a relationship that I don't, did you get this too? Like when they first introduced like that actress who to me is like one of the most beautiful actresses like working right now. And there's something about her, Melanie Laurent, I think is her name. Mm, so, I yeah. really, really love that actress um, who was Shoshana. She was in In Bruges and, uh, and yeah. She's Shoshana. She's Shoshana. Yeah. yeah. Harry Potter. Yeah. Glorious Bastard. I, oh, that's right. I love, I <laughs> love, right. I love that actress. Yeah, she's and, great. And the way that she's introduced in this, like, I was just hit with how fucking dysfunctional and weird her relationship with the teacher looks. Like at first, like I almost thought that she was like an escort or something when she That's shows what up I at the door. At the beginning as well. Yeah, and then like no, it's like they just have this persistent relationship that also seems like really devoid of of sensitivity or connection. Um, and then of course, you know, Anthony also has like so they both have super dysfunctional romantic relationships um, with different stakes involved. Uh, the I'm like I'm I lean towards that that they are the same person in the right if they're the same person she's the woman he's having an affair with I don't know what 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 are your thoughts on that Jamie but... well I think it's supposed I think what's great about this film is how like it's not muddy in the sense that it's hard to follow mm-hmm. it's it's mu- confusing or muddy in the, in that that way that life can be complicated and mm. You know, like, I never got a sense that I was lost in this. I think it just makes you think, well, could this be this? Well, maybe that, you know, and it's one of those films where you're going to keep thinking about it afterwards. And, you know, that's a that's a fine line to walk as a director, because mm. I think it's very easy to confuse your audience. And so, you know, something like this is is really, you know, this is a huge success. It's not easy to do. I think this, it, it kind of reminded me of, like, the best Dodaevsky I've read. You know, like, it, it's just, what, or Russian lit, where there's just these characters and things aren't what they seem and people are, you know, like, well, there's, of course, the double. Um, and it is based on a novel called The Double, um, which was um, Jose Saramago yeah. uh, wrote. But but it also just reminded me of, there is, like, a Dodaevsky um, novel. Uh, or I guess it's like a, a mini, you know, like 
whatever mini novel but um it just reminded me of that of the of this not knowing um like if you've ever read notes from the underground mm, where things yeah. just start spiraling and and getting weird and um i just think there's there's kind of that that element to it that kind of uh, very existential as well i mean it's sort of like so either it's two different people or it's two different sides of the same person or he's actually maybe you know mentally ill and ha- you know or whatever and has sort of two personality you know but like it's not clear if it, if it's the second if it's one person is it sort of a uh just like trying to show you know we all have you know two sides to us or two you know right brain left brain or or, or whatever i mean there's there's definitely a uh i mean a I don't know, magical realism might not be the right term, but sort of an extra... Well, like, when you talk about magic realism, I think, uh, well, it's not really um, magic, but the realism aspect of that that opening scene where, like, you're seeing this really grimy, underground, fetish kind of, you know, thing going on, where they're, like, behind a locked door with, like, a special key and stuff. I think, like... I mean, that kind of sets the tone, too, I think, because, like, you were kind of tapping into this idea of, like, things that are, you know, maybe it's also, it's him, it's something in him. So, like, these ideas of the things that are hidden um, inside of us, Mm. just as that whole fetish scene is, like, hidden, it was, like, in the basement of, like, a building, you know, and and just the things that we don't see behind clothes. It's a very Lynch thing. Oh, totally. You know, where, like, think about that, that establishing scene in Blue Velvet with the roses, you know, the things that are lying underneath. Um, that we don't look at but that are there i think that that kind of ties into this and whatever that means for these characters but just that there are things hidden in us yeah and and well and 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 again that works with the doubling or doppelganger thing if they are the same part i mean there's sort of you know everything is, is 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 one of those guys is experiencing is a you know is is all in the subconscious hidden in his subconscious or unconscious i don't right. think in in reality both you know everything is going on in in adam's life and anthony's life I and mean, we're definitely seeing two two different you know personas or people um but yeah i um i i i I agree with that statement actually about the realism because it was because it was so sort of the movie is very grounded. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's sort of weird, weird moments for sure, but the actual uh, scene to scene to scene in general with some fantasy elements aside or whatever is actually very grounded. And that's what I thought actually made it so creepy. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street is creepy, but subconsciously there's no Freddy. Whereas this. I don't know. Uh, it was a real world. I mean, it's set in Toronto, but it was a city, and I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I think also um, because they established things with like him looking into his birth certificate and talking to his mother, the scar, I think it does make it seem like, wait, they could, you know, like there could be something here. This could very, like it doesn't feel fake, like you said. I think everything is actually relying on the mother scene. The yeah. mother scene is is super uh, intense and threaded into the realities that the movie presents. She touches like multiple things about his, you know, alternate and the things that his alternate wants, like in such a weird way. Like it, the film to me from the start and especially from that establishing scene in like the crush club seems infused with like this dream logic where things just kind of keep moving, even though there are like, drastic uh you know disturbances 
everything just kind of keeps like, you know, moving on and moving forward. And that actually <clears throat> collaborates with the with the other with the like more softly spoken theme in the film, the totalitarian stuff, the content of his lectures, mm-hmm. um, the graffiti on the wall that he's like where he's walking through in like that early scene where I'm I'm led to think that, you know, he is having like a fantasy experience or, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, like a fugue or something. Um, mm-hmm. be, but at the same time, like to me, that sort of damages some of the stuff in the movie that I find the most resonant in a weird way. For instance, like my single favorite moment in it, the thing that like just made me fall in love with like the, the way this, act, this actress's performance was the scene where he climbs into bed with the pregnant um, woman whose name I'm forgetting right now the character in the in the scene but she was helen as adam gets in with anthony's wife yeah with anthony's wife in bed Mm -hmm. with anthony's wife and the way that she looks at him through that entire thing and she's like get naked and she's just staring at him she's staring at him like she understands everything that's going on right now and something in that scene which i thought was really weird which i had to like play around with the pause button for is that in the alternate version of that uh or in, in anthony's experience with adam's girlfriend uh she has you know this whole thing about the wedding ring and in that scene, Adam isn't wearing a wedding ring because he doesn't have one. Uh, and it's very hard to intuit that because they hide his hand in almost the entire scene. But there's a brief thing where he pulls a sheet over him and then like his hand flashes on the camera for like a second. And I paused it and he's not wearing a wedding ring. So he's not wearing a wedding ring. She is. Um, further highlight when she climbed, when she meets him on the couch and like threads her hand in his, you can very clearly see that he has no wedding ring and she does. Um, but that's not something that she's mentioning. She has the opposite response to the to the to the difference to the differentiation in their hands she's like yeah okay like this is like you know what i want so i i feel like i lean towards the anthony persona as the quote-unquote real one in the context of the film um because the stakes are realer and the colorization is different um so i lean to that and that adam is like this bizarre sad fantasy see i think adam is real Mm. and anthony is the things he wants to be and i think that um adam is the sad sack like i don't know that felt real for me whereas like when it becomes this pristine kind of clear bright beautiful i think those are the things that he wants so that's the fantasy yeah that to me was the fantasy but at the same time i kind of feel like he could be anthony and be married and then um is having an affair and then I don't know. And then fantasizing about like a kind of, cause then I keep thinking about that, the crush club in the beginning. And so it feels to me like, well, if you want to be part of something like that, where it's like this darker scene, then you create a persona, which could be then be Adam. I don't know. See, it's interesting. I, I actually think that it's sort of, they both represent Neither of them is kind of the true person, but that they both represent the two sides to someone, like the notion of, Mm. you know, Batman and Joker, the two sides of the same coin, that like, basically, you know, that Jake Gyllenhaal's character is, you know, basically, if you, you know, is, 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 is some, some part Adam and some part Anthony. I think, I think the mother scene accentuates your reading. I think the mother scene makes it seem like he is a teacher with fantasies of being an actor. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's so, right yeah so i think that kind of does accentuate the point you're making and you know he doesn't he does the, the actor doesn't like blueberries but the i mean the uh the teacher doesn't like blueberries but the actor does yeah 
it really fits in as being this sort of totally different movie, and yet you can sort of see that it fits in with the rest of uh, Villeneuve's, uh, or rather Villeneuve's, he's French-Canadian, his um, oeuvre, so to speak. To, to, uh, you, you use a French word for a French director. That's really good, Chico. You yes, matched it up. Yeah, that, was, that, was, that was, you know. <laughs> um, uh, well, you know, after I flubbed his name. But yeah, no, I, I just, you know, when you, if you've seen Sicario, if you've seen, I don't know if any of this has seemed too super confusing, but if you've seen Sicario and you've seen Arrival and you've seen prisoners i mean you can sort of see how this movie fits in with these guys can you can guy. you like are, I, I actually was gonna say i don't agree i think oh see i think it visually reminded me visually um, maybe yeah, yeah, yeah that was the style yeah. but i think right. there's really a split when he became when he did sicario and arrival when he kind of made it i guess because to me like enemy and prisoners go really well together mm. right but i feel that they they feel very different from um, well, I mean, maybe there's a little bit of a rival with Enemy, but I think Sicario stands out the most. I, I'm really not a fan of it, and I think it stands out the most. And that's what people usually love, mm-hmm. I love when that. you talk about him, and I just, I don't like it. I don't think it, it holds a candle to Enemy or Prisoners, you know. But I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it was this big, bigger budget, very commercial, like... I, I know that makes me sound like a Williamsburg hipster, but like <laughs> sold out, man. Enemies was actually the first. I mean, rather, Prisoners was the first one I saw, and it definitely, you know, I was like, holy shit, that was really, that was great. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I guess I was approaching it not. I mean, I was saying that I thought that there was a visual, yeah, I sort of see there is, and that they were all sort of different thematically and genre wise, and so that's what I was going to say. He has a style. Um, the way a lot of really accomplished directors have a visual style, and even if they're making movies in in different genres, you can sort of you know there's the, you know you can look at a Stanley Kubrick movie and be like that's a Stanley Kubrick movie, mm-hmm. right? You know, but has he done something know. as murky as Enemy? Otherwise, like I've told you, the three films of his that I've seen, <laughs> has he done anything as murky as this? You mean in terms of visually? No, in terms of narrative wise. Oh no, definitely not narrative wise. But I sort of thought that it, it looked a little like Sicario. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's differences in terms of Sicario being an action movie and there being explosions and stuff like that. But and and enemy, I, I don't know. I sort of think he establishes a little bit of a melancholy mood. Hmm. Um, that it, that that visually that is and yet is beautiful. Also, Gyllenhaal is amazing in it. An enemy. Yeah, he he's just really has good. Been doing really great projects but especially when it's something that was a little under the radar like yeah, this like was Nightcrawler, um, yeah you know props props to Jake Gyllenhaal props to uh Denis was it Villeneuve 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 can I can I can I make one more argument for my for my Adam is the fantasy and Anthony is the real one uh-huh. can I make one more one more argument for that okay I think it's more realistic to consider that a failing actor with a very pregnant wife dreams and fantasizes about uh, the simple life of a schlub then a schlub dreams and fantasizes about a failing actor with a very pregnant wife and it could also be that um as a failing actor with a very pregnant wife that adam is just a persona he created so that he can have an affair right right exactly like i'm just this sad sack teacher that's why this apartment is bare it's not like i just rented it so i can have an like affair, a love you know? like a love nest type thing like yeah a love yeah, nest. yeah. yeah I agree. Uh, all right yeah i mean i would the one thing i would argue there is that if you're a failing actor in a relationship that looks like i mean rather if you're a schlub of a college professor in a relationship that looks like that for the first time we were like oh is that an escort like that is so you could imagine him fantasizing about what didn't you dream a little bigger though you want to be hugh jackman 
You know, like you wouldn't want to be like three credits guy. That's true too. You know, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. You would not. You're right about that. All right. All right. All right. Well, Chico's on board. Great. All right. Yeah. So um, mission accomplished. I mean, the irony here is that of the you know between this and the next movie that we're going to talk about, this one is by far and away the most uh, you know sort of straightforward. This is very true. Um, but I uh, so the the best part about doing this podcast is that we get to watch lots of movies that we either love or we've never seen before. Mm. And I got to introduce Chico to Possession. Oh my god. Yeah. Which was oh my god. amazing. Oh my god. Um, and to have seen it screen too. It wasn't just like, hey, right. watch so this we, movie. We it's actually good. went to Videology in Williamsburg and we saw it played. So this wasn't just like a laptop or whatever. Like this was on the big screen, which made it better. And I actually didn't know that Chico had never seen it, so... That was fun. Oh, first impressions, Chico? I mean, well, you know, it's it's really, it's the kind of movie I think actually someone hearing us talk about it might be um, better. Uh, you know, I didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. I quite literally just knew, I mean, I'd seen the poster. I'd heard that it was, you know, sort of, you know, it had a reputation. I don't just, think you, know, you can I mean, know what to expect from this movie. I don't think anyone well, can prepare you for it. And that and that's the whole thing. Other than knowing that Sam Neill and Isabella Gianni were in it. Um, I didn't even know that it was from 81. I knew that it was from, you know, sometime in the eighties, but, um, you know, I knew very little about it and, um, you know, it's definitely certainly stayed with me and I read up a little bit on it afterwards. I didn't want it beforehand, Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, I don't know how much I know about it now after having, uh, after having seen it, Uh, (laughs) but I mean, it's, I mean, it's certainly, if you like movies, you have to see Possession. Absolutely. And yeah. if you like horror movies. It's one of those movies, movies that I find is so hard to explain, and yet it is so easy to explain. Because you're just literally watching the disintegration of a marriage. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think that that doesn't even explain it. You know? No, not even No, no, yeah, not it's enough. just, there's so much in, first of all, it's the performances, um, you know, are just. Singular. Fantastic. I, yeah, I, like, there, there's no words. They're just an experience. Mm-hmm. You have to experience um, but also, I think what's kind of cool about it is it's it's also taking place in um, Cold War Berlin. And so, like, you literally see the Berlin Wall. You see that kind of, um, you know, really run down, um, you know, like the, the old war, par- you know, pre-war apartments that are now kind of gone to shit because everybody's living in poverty and the dinginess of, like, the bar and yeah. how just kind of dirty but, like, beautifully dirty everything is. Like... I just wanted to live there, even though I'm well aware that it probably was not a nice place to live, per se, because of, you know. Um, well, this is the West, and... right? I mean, they're in the West, right? Or um, I, I, I think it is the guards, West. I think it is the West. Yeah, the guards on the other side are definitely on the other side of the wall. The dudes with like But it's still, guns. I think it still felt very. Um, oh, yeah. I, I, mean, I think because it's, it's because the wall, like, you know, they're, he's literally looking out of the apartment window and you see guards on the other yeah. side of the barbed wire with binoculars. So there still is this sense of um, paranoia throughout it, you know, that it's this isn't about politics, but it's there. It's kind of pulsing underneath where mm-hmm. that, that you know, political anxiety is still there. Um, and collapse, you know, because, of course, we know that that was only a few years away from falling to shit. So I think right. it's kind of interesting that a film that features that kind of had that, foresight i guess right right like it's you a know, deconstruction talking, of a relationship in a decon in a place about to be deconstructed that was it was yeah slowly deconstructing the city. 
Yeah. The world, the political system, yeah. Yeah, I, I like Possession is one of those movies that like has has like has permanent real estate in my top 20 movies of all time. Moves around in that list uh, at various times, but it's like forever in there. It's not I don't think it's really like anything I've ever seen. It at times it it kind of reminds me a little bit of Cassavetti's uh mm-hmm. slightly, um but it's uh- with well, a, the real the real stuff, the stuff of this well, not real, but like the stuff of the the relationship, right. the marriage coming apart. Yeah, yeah sure, yeah. that side. That's the only thing it hints at. To right, me. there's a whole other side of the movie without a doubt. <laughs> no, the, but even the, you're the, right. Like actually, some of the performances which are you know delivered in this very weird you know way sometimes, like <clears> right <throat> into the camera from a weird angle. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet you're right. I mean, there is that there's, there's some of that that you only see in like sort of, you know, Cassavetes or Kent Loach or, you know, what the, the, the British guy who did naked, you know, those kinds of like very intense, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Like character I, I study stuff. It's kind of yeah. interesting that you said that because I kind of just realized that, you know, if you're going to compare the performance to anything, it's probably woman under the influence, yep, right? Absolutely. Where absolutely. you're seeing a woman go completely mad. Mm-hmm. Um and kind of just have these swings and have these moments, of, but in but in a brilliant way because Gina Rollins is phenomenal in that film, and so it's not, it doesn't feel like melodrama. It doesn't feel, um, you know, it doesn't it, it is over the top, but it works. Yeah, it, and, but I also thought of Repulsion, to be honest with you. I yeah, mean, I could see that yeah. too. Yeah, but I think Isabel. I mean, she won Best Actress at Cannes, um, and and you can see why because she's just she doesn't hold back at all this is it's fearless you know it's it's incredible yeah i I like i so like i've i've as much as i love this movie i also find it like really disturbing and stressful to experience Um, oh it is yeah yeah, like there's there's something about everything about the performances about the way the the camera like queasily sways back and forth it never circles somebody it starts to circle them and then it kind of stops and then goes back and then like circles back the other way and shit it's like a ship you know uh it's i like it it's it's a harrowing nightmare I think like yeah, this. The camera movement movement stuck out to me the second time around um, because he moves so much, and even and then if he's not mo- the camera's not moving, the characters right. are. So there's that crazy, you know, Sam Neill in the rocking chair, like you know, exaggeratedly like rocking back and forth. Right. Um, <laughs> right. and it's she has an amazing scene where, which is like part of this big tracking shot where she's walking through a tunnel. Oh yeah, oh yeah, right. Know, so the whole subway scene. Yeah, yeah. So that, then the that's camera's really... still, but she's all over the place. Like, yeah, yeah. No, I'm saying, the but other. the camera's moving, and then she's moving, yeah. and then you know, it, you know, it's sort of locks down and then she goes all over the place so both both characters in this movie have doppelgangers <laughs> doubles right. yeah right um you know but it's almost impossible to explain yeah like it's a it's a tricky thing to summarize it, it's it's uh you know as jamie said it's about a, a deteriorating marriage a perhaps like post-deterioration marriage um but uh the two characters but their minds are deteriorating as well oh yeah oh their emotional you states know. um apparently right. apparently isabel ajani uh d- d- like described the film like sort of unkindly as psychological pornography <laughs> she also said it took her like 20 years to get over yeah. her performance or something she supposedly like, like yeah. attempted suicide not too long after it wow. yeah like it like bro- it broke her mind like and i mean when you when you see it like there's probably like one of one it's hard to pick a favorite scene out of this but one of my favorite scenes is like kind of smack dab in the middle of the movie um when she gives the like soliloquy to the camera after the ballet uh 
like recital scene or the mm-hmm. ballet training scene where she's just like expressing stuff. So did you know that um that like the director of photography in this is her husband? So I actually didn't know. Yeah, so so like yeah. like uh you know the uh the the director um Andrzej Zhuwowski uh he was talking about how you know there are these like kind of like fucked up inner relationships inside the movie because like he wrote this script like about his own divorce. Yes. Well, that's right. I knew that. Like like the brood actually. <laughs> I believe. Mm-hmm. Right. So so and then on top of that like uh, Isabel and Johnny is like delivering certain parts of this like literally to her husband behind a camera <laughs> you know while she's inhabiting this like other persona uh, and like, and that particular scene because if I recall in the movie she's delivering it to her lover Heinrich who is an incredible cinematic creation um, and she's like that scene is like being spoken to him except Sam Neill is sitting at home watching this recording so it's being spoken to him so she's speaking right. it's her, herself to like two lovers at the same time including a real husband and like kind of uh expressing all this uh this this kind of rant-like self-affirmation uh you know just like dirge of language um you know where she says like you know when you say i it's me or when you say me it means i or that whole i've watched that speech maybe like 30 times in my life because there's there's something about it that is so freaking real to me that does not feel like acting that does not feel like written words it feels like uh like a person you know engulfed in like an egoless pit uh oh man it's uh it's it's so good it's it's such a heavy film and but i also kind of feel like it's metaphors in a lot of ways, like in uh-huh. the sense that I don't think the teacher really looks was a tw- you know a doppelganger of his no. wife. I actually think that that's just the projection he wanted, mm-hmm. you know. And and she eventually her lover that she kind of created, which is at first a monster, then turns into him. You know, that's it's- all to me so symbolic of the way they viewed each other when they come, you know, get to peace with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the ending, you know, the it's 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 hard to kind of like ascribe a real truth to the ending because there's so many supernatural elements at play. Right. Um, but I think that it's kind of about like moving on and a new beginning. And so they might, you know, I know the people look like each other and you're seeing them start anew in a way, but it's not actually them. And so I think that's just indicative of how we eventually move on. But we're always going to carry a piece of those former lovers with us and and so that old relationship will always be part of the new relationship and you know i mean but but it's hard to even definitively say that because i think this movie is just so vast and you know i really like that read though i think it's a great read and and all that is true and what's amazing is that it tells all of that through this like horror lens there's a monster there are you know bloody bloody you know you know scenes and their psychological the carving knife horror. stuff always fucks me up for some reason yeah but- there's there's a lot i mean these are this and you know i i think to a certain degree enemy is more of a psychological horror film but this is this is i mean it's many things but among the other things that it is it is definitely a horror movie um, and I think and it's interesting that they have a child because, well, at first, like, when we were watching it, like, for me the second time, I'm like, God, worst parents in the entire world. But I think it also speaks to the, you know, the sometimes selfishness that happens when parents are divorcing because there's so much shit you have to work out for yourself. Right. You know? And then also, like, just thinking of that carving knife scene where it stands out as something that is almost ludicrous, 
But if you're lifting everything as metaphors, then it makes sense. It's like, well, I fucking have bled for you. You know, I've cut myself for you time and time again. And you, you know, you, where do, what has that gotten me? You know, what, what has that ever gotten me? Because we're still here. And I think it's just, it's really powerful. You know, the, the miscarriage scene is really powerful, you know, and, and. It's like the centerpiece of the movie. Yeah. Right. And it's just when she talks about like things dying inside of her. Um, you know, you could take it literally, but also just the idea that, you know, when a marriage dies, like there is a part of you because you've invested, you have, you know, committed to someone. And if that ends, which happens, you know, that shit does happen. And, and, you know, I always think of that Woody Allen line in, in, you know, Annie Hall, love fades. And when he's like, well, fuck, you know, like, cause that, 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 that's always hit me. Cause it does. Yeah. And like, th- then you're kind of left sifting through the pieces of like, if love fades, then what was the point of me doing, you know, all these things? And there really is no answer. And that's kind of what they ha- they eventually get to discover is like, there, there is no answer. You just go, you know, you keep pushing on. Mm. Uh, and on top of that, I, I mean, it's not clear. You know, he's been away. I mean, you know, it's it's possible that it's all a delusion or whatever. Or, but you know, he's a spy, maybe, yeah, or some sort of right, secret agent. Really, yeah. yeah, I think but, so. But he's been away. We just know that he's been away, and and um, that that you know, I mean, he's been away for months. You know, and he goes away for months because of his job, and so that that's going to take a huge toll on a. You know what I mean? Like. Whether he's a spy or whether he's working with polar bears or whether whatever it is that he is, you know, that, you know, they, they set it up in such a way that a lot of, like you were just talking about, like with the miscarriage in her speech about, you know, something dying inside her. I mean, obviously what was going on on the screen was, you know, super fantastic, supernatural, you know, crazy alien weirdness. But there, there's a truth. I mean, that's in, in all of the uh, all, all of the, the madness of the movie. I think the entire Absolutely. thing is has truth. I think the thing, like, I think like the one of the reasons it like rattles me so much is that it is as as a fantasy. Like so much of the movie feels real. Like the emotions are are super exposed and bare and and described in language that is that is so so mad uh, and yet makes like complete sense. Like I don't think there's any parts of the script or things that people say that I would describe as uh confusing he is at the most you know the most non-lucid rants in it like hit me hard hit me as like something really really real and defined um so it's 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 weird to talk about it as a as a as a fantasy like it's it's allegorical uh and like you know like the monster could like arguably be allegorical in a number of ways but mm-hmm. n- and 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 sam neil you know just shambles around like like he he has this like way of walking through half the movie where it looks like his like his torso is just like floating and his legs are just like kind of dragging but he's he's like a specter like spinning around and dancing like in just in the ways that he walks again this is the stuff that like adds to it like being dreamlike but it's like when you wake up from a really weird dream but you feel like you've experienced something really intimate and true like that's where the dreamlike stuff comes in Right, so imagine me, who I just knew that you know that there was going to be some sort of doubling or doppelganger thing going on, and I'm just seeing this, you know, this this horror movie that had you know a young Sam Neill, you know, I mean, it's actually only twelve years later that he, you know, that he does Jurassic Park, yep. and yet, you know, the difference between those oh my two God. is pretty. It's, <laughs> more than it's very. Years. I, I found it kind of connects to In the Mouth of Madness. It, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. This like unraveling, I guess. 
Um, it's funny because it does have, um, I can't, I can't really say her name, but it's Margaret, um, Carstensen, I think. Um, but she was one of uh, Fassbender's um, actresses. Right. She's the Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant. She's the lead. Um, and she's in a bunch of his movies. But it's so funny because the end kind of shootout reminds me of early Fassbender. Um, where, like, this kind of absurd thing happens and you don't know, um, like, uh, why... I'm I'm trying to think of like the there's like it was a, just, I see I thought of it as Godardian like 60s Godard this sort of just random like like suddenly it turns into like this you know car chase shootout you know whatever yeah. it was well, like I think, you know well it, it makes I mean like uh, Fassbinder is like German New Wave technically yeah yep. um, but like uh, Love is Colder Than Death is the movie I was thinking of where there's this just like absurd black and white shootout and kind of uh, it reminded me of that a little bit but um, but yeah it was just kind of funny how it touched on um you know a german like a really well-known german director and we're here in you know west berlin technically uh just a few years shy of actually he died like the following year so i don't know hmm. uh it just kind of stuck out to me a little bit yeah it's harder these are the movies that were this week are it's sort of hard to, <laughs> to, to talk about without actually sort of because they are so you know dreamlike or things are going you know magical realism or whatever you want to call it but that um they they are you know and so i feel like even yeah even something like sisters that you mentioned uh you know the brian de palma movie has although that's much more straightforward because it's out of you know it's almost like a pastiche of hitchcock with a little de palma flair but yeah this theme is one that it's it's hard to uh it's hard to get your get get your get your uh your mouth around yeah, that Sisters probably... for me is kind of a rear window meets Vertigo-ish kind of, um, maybe not a little bit of Vertigo, but not really the name. And an element of Psycho, for sure. Yeah, yeah Psycho, yeah. Psycho, for certain. Yeah. A little bit you of know. a little bit of like gumshoe detective stuff. Um, you know, and uh, you know, for Superman fans out there, Mar- uh, uh, you no, know, Margot Kidder. Kidder a few years before she, you know, sort of, you know, was the invented Marco the Kidder modern role of one Lois of the most Lane. underrated but wonderful yeah. actresses. <laughs> like everything she did in the seventies, like she's in Black Christmas, um, you know, and this was kind of a gift to her from De Palma. Like they were all broke at the time, and she was a struggling actress, and he kind of just, I think it was like a Christmas present, was, hey, be in my, because they were talking like 1973, I think, sister. Yeah, it's 73, and, you know. Well, she and Jennifer Salt, who's the other. Uh, right, and I believe gonna, they were roommates. They were roommates, the exactly, right. they, and they had been roommates for a few years, and, you know, it was sort of, yeah, I mean, people, you, we see these movies, and they've, but it's like, they, a lot of them, you know, during this period were like these really small independent intimate affairs and yeah. uh, sisters is definitely one of those and um uh, you know um, it's ridiculous it's de palma but i think at the same time you know margot kidder does this great job playing two characters um there is this um so jennifer salt eventually went on to like write and executive produce american horror story that's right um and so there's very much an element of um sarah paulson's character in the asylum season um where jennifer salt is this kind of reporter she actually reports on police brutality a lot and so when she witnesses this crime happening in margot kidder's apartment the cops don't want to deal with her they're like oh you're just trying to make us look bad and so she starts trying to figure out because now the body's missing and it's really great there's a lot of really tense moments um and of course there's a really big reveal about the sisters but there's a moment where she goes to the asylum to kind of find out more about the sisters 
And they basically, the doctor who is actually married to Danielle, who's one of the sisters, um, lies and says she's an inmate. You know, she's, don't listen to her. She's really one of my patients. And so she gets stuck there as a patient. And it's a, it's a horrifying thing to watch, especially as a woman where like, you know, your, your words sometimes like they'll take a man's word over yours. Um, and this really horrifying, like, it's, it's a really old trope, but that like, I'm not really crazy. I don't belong here. Yeah, sure. Of course. But that happens here with a little bit of that just sexism element to it. And it's kind of a terrifying claustrophobic thing to watch. Cause you're like, Oh God, Oh God, now bad things are going to happen. Um, which she kind of uses again in American horror story, but, um, you know, it's, I, I don't think it's on, it's a favorite of mine. I mean, it's not on par. Well, you're a big, you're a big De Palma I'm fan. I'm a huge I, De Palma fan. I like yeah. it, although I have big, I have issues with De Palma, part of which are sort of, I feel like he's such a Hitchcock fanboy and there's such a fair amount of his work that is just sort of paying homage, you know, like I mean, body doubles, sisters, yeah, obsession. Right, <laughs> I mean, so. Go. Sure. So, you know, but um, he does do some, you know, it's definitely a stylish movie, you know. I mean, he does some really great stuff with split screen that actually uh, work, works really well. I think well. that shit still works, the split screen yeah. stuff he does in this. Yeah, it it's does. still really effective. And what's fun about Sisters is you see who Brian De Palma is going to become as a filmmaker. Right. Mm-hmm. So very early on, mm-hmm. this is like, you're only a few years removed from his really early Bobby De Niro stuff. Like, yep. this is who Brian De Palma, when you think of him that's what he becomes. This is before Carrie. You know, this is like everything you think of, you're, you get it in this. Right. Yeah, no. So, I mean, but it, it it's, yeah. Sisters definitely, uh, is that, uh, I can't remember. No, I, I, I don't think that's streaming. But the, these movies can all can all be found and are, are, are definitely worth checking out. I think it's, uh, you know, it, it yeah. Can I, mean, can I, the, can the I say, can I, can I say two things yeah. about sisters real quick? Sure. One please. is that I, I think the movie is actually, um, a PSA, uh, that De Palma made because people needed more reasons to avoid Staten Island. Um, <laughs> and secondly, and secondly, uh, my, uh, I, I, so I was a baker for years and, uh, and I had to like decorate cakes and like write on cakes and writing on cakes is mad easy. So that whole scene is total oh, bullshit. Yeah, there's a yeah, there is a plot point. About <laughs> it's total about bullshit. That. It's so easy to write on a cake. You, I could teach you to write on a cake in like five minutes, and you'd never forget it. It's like riding a bike. You'd like remember it for the rest of your life. I mean, it is interesting. There aren't that many movies that take place on Staten Island. No. The fact that you have the you know sort of police brutality that you have, like yeah. you know, there's, there's sort of a whole bunch the, of stuff. I mean, that, I mean, am I? It hasn't changed in forty five years. What, and Staten Island, if I'm not mistaken, has a history of like notorious uh, asylums or, or mental institutions. Right. There is that really famous uh, the thing. Well, which was referenced in American Horror Story, um, but the um, with uh, Geraldo Rivera. Yeah, Cropsey. Yeah. Cropsey was in Staten yeah. Island. Yeah. Yeah. So that's all Staten Island. Um, but I was actually just going to say that one of um, one of uh, Tom Hanks's first roles uh, was actually in He Knows You're Alone, which uh, is a horror movie that's okay. It's like a guy who kills brides or something. Uh, but it's actually that's the only other movie I can think of, especially horror movie that takes place on Staten Island. Was that after Mazes of Monsters or before? Uh, this is 1980, so yeah, oh, it's, it was it was really wow. his second, his wow. first movie role, his second yeah. role of all time, because the only thing he did before that was The Love Boat, so this is before he did, you know, Mazes and Monsters, before Bosom Buddies, before all that, hmm. so, um, so if you want to see a really, really young Tom Hanks, and also see some vintage Staten Island, for what it's worth, uh, He Knows You're Alone is, it's, it's good, 
It's like one of those cheesy, you know, B-rate horror movies, but it's fun. I mean, there's also, there's a scene actually on the Staten Island Ferry where you actually see the World Trade Center. And I think the World Trade Center had just been built that year. Oh, really recently, you know, like. I didn't even think of that. it's, you know, I mean, if it's a 73, and the movie came out in 73, it was, you know, filmed in 72 or something, yeah. or something, and I think they were built in 71 or something. Wow, that's Possibly that's crazy, even, yeah. like, very, you know. So, I yeah, I mean, that, you know, um, and I'm assuming the other stuff was, or, you know, that a fair amount of it was shot in Staten Island, but I don't know. I mean. It had to the, have been. Um, I feel like from yeah, the shots it, in yeah. it, it had to have been yeah. in Staten Island. Also, yeah. also, that guy looks like he could be Steve Buscemi's dad. <laughs> yeah he was really creepy the doctor creepy slash doctor, husband yeah. yeah oh man well i feel like it was fitting that we had los leos on our double episode you know, that <laughs> that's time. right that that's really actually well. wow that- <laughs> oh my god yo layers it's like that it's like i remember i was reading trivia about enemy and they were like oh in that same year someone made a movie called the double based on a book called the double that was in jose saramago's book so there's actually a double of the movie enemy called the double based on the book called the double which is the Dodievsky movie. Oh, is it? Or rather, yeah, that's based on the Dodievsky book, but that's actually not a good movie, according to Casey, who is one of our awesome listeners. And she was like, don't watch that movie. Huh. But she enjoyed Enemy, so I think we picked the better double the pecked, movie. The better movie based on a book called The yeah, Devil. Yeah, and, and Enemy yes. really, I gotta say, that was, so I hadn't seen, I've seen Sisters a bunch of times, but I hadn't seen Enemy or Possession before, you know, we, uh, before we recorded this. Well, no, I mean, you know, before we decided on this uh, this uh, episode. And I got to say, I actually always wanted to see Enemy because I'm a fan of the director. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this has been, uh, you know, I'm still wrapping my head around these two movies. Yeah. I, I definitely think, uh, you know, Scream Squad out there should go uh, go yeah, seek them out. Yeah, gotta go watch it. And of course, the double, <laughs> to throw it in one more time, the Dodievsky double um, was the influence on Black Swan too, which we've covered in a past episode, so... You know, it's just one of those things that the gift that keeps on giving for the horror genre. <laughs> <laughs> also, I need to admit that, like, um, and this was not this is not specifically planned in this way or for this reason, but I'm like an obsessive dualist. Like, I th- I have this whole like philosophical concept of duality that like is about me and about my life and about the world. So I'm a total dualist. So I happen to be on the episode that's about doubles. <laughs> that was totally accidental, but brilliant that it happened. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, check out check out the Patreon uh, for 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 more Los Leos and for more uh, Jamie Rigetti. Awesome, thanks guys. Yeah, right. Keep screaming. Right on, creep scream, keep screaming, y'all. I said creep screaming. <laughs> that should be the new creep line. Creep screaming. Creep screaming. <laughs> creep scheming. <laughs>